0: It's time for our first segment of Politics by Night. This is a thing that we do at about this time every Tuesday night. We talk politics with a rotating cast of uh, political contributors. Um, We try to take a bit more of a broad, thoughtful approach to politics as opposed to a more sort of adversarial approach. And our first correspondent this evening is uh, the deputy political editor of the New Zealand Herald, Thomas Codlin who joins us now via Zoom. Cura to you, Thomas.
1: ora, sure, Emil. Good evening.
0: It is marvellous to have you here. Um, there are lots of things to get through tonight, so let's just get cracking. First up, Thomas, um, the age of the reviews has become uh, has begun. Uh, the education sector, the first under the spotlight, it seems.
1: Yes, uh, so this is one of those things that governments tend to do. I think it's a bipartisan thing that they tend to do, is that whenever they come into office, uh, they tend to commission a whole bunch of reviews uh, into why the last government uh, was so terrible. Uh, and and, and uh, with the idea being to prove uh, to voters that they made the right decision and to create a bit of a narrative, I think, to, uh to do what what, what uh, they want to do when they are in office. so the education one is the most recent that was uh, on Monday uh, Eric Stanford announced that the government would be reviewing a whole bunch of cost blowouts in the uh, in, in, in the construction of new school classrooms and, and other um, other new uh, parts of the education estate. Uh, it joins a review of blowouts at Klein Uh, There was a brief, I wouldn't really call it a review, but it kind of fits the bill, a brief review of these things called fiscal cliffs at the end of last year. Um, So we've got a whole bunch of these reviews being undertaken by the new government uh, into things that went wrong under the last government. Um, And, you know, if you think this is unique, it absolutely isn't. The last government, when it came into office, um, did a review of the way that Housing New Zealand had treated uh, meth contamination, the Meth House review. Um, that was pretty damning. That one it found a whole lot of uh, it found a whole lot of state housing tenants have been booted out of their homes unnecessarily, uh, and it, it did a review into safety uh, compliance NZTA. Uh, and that found that um, the NZTA, Wachakatahi, uh, at the time, obviously, it has its name changed. Um, uh, Wachakatahi had done uh, a poor job of enforcing its safety standards. Uh, and in that case, it led to someone actually losing their life. Um, so the government used that as a, as a reason to tighten up um, road safety. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a really bipartisan thing. But it's a, I think it's a very interesting kind of um, part of the life cycle, I guess, of each government.
0: Yeah, because I guess you know we get some sexy headlines out of this, and we get some uproar from those with differing political views. But I suppose it's an opportunity to uh, impose your philosophy as a new government on changes that have that have been made, and therefore you know it's kind of it's pretty bog standard, right? It's par for the course.
1: Yeah, I, I mean I think like. A lot of things can be true about this at the same time. I think it's a, an important part of like the democratic process that when a government takes office, it kind of uses the uses the power of the state to ask questions of of the of the wider government um, that the former administration would not have asked about itself. Um, so you know, the former government did have uh, some cost blowout issues, and perhaps it would have, it, it didn't really want to ask the question about why that was happening, um, because it didn't want to know the answer. You know, it, it was afraid of the answer. Um, but of course, I think as as consumers of politics, as citizens, I think we have to be a wee bit sceptical of these reviews because. Um, because, you know, they're not, they're not happening in a political vacuum. Uh, the Kainga Aura review is being undertaken by Bill English, you know, former mm. National Party Prime Minister. So, you know, you, you get the sense that, um, that the government very clearly wants a certain kind of answer to the questions that it's asking. So, so both of those things can be true at the same time. I think they're really important, but, but, you know, you, you can't call them nonpartisan.
0: Yeah, no that's that's a fair point actually. Um elsewhere, your colleague at the Herald, of Shrani, she had an excellent piece last week, um which threatens to bring fiscal whole discourse back uh, which will be joyful. And this, Thomas, pertains to some different a difference in costings when it comes to road projects. Can you explain what's going on here?
1: Yes, so National went to the election uh with this very expensive roading plan, um about uh 23000000000 dollars worth of costed uh transport projects. Um Labor criticized it at the time for saying for, for being poorly costed. Uh, it did rely on older cost estimates. And National said that it had set $2 billion aside for cost pressures just in case those old cost estimates turned out to be um turned out to be uh you know uh, too small. <laughs> Um, lo and behold, uh, the, <laughs> some leaked information from from Wahakotahi has found that um, that these cost estimates are way way off, to the tune of twenty four billion dollars um, billion. that's a, a b, mm. um, which you know I think post COVID we've kind of lost track of what a billion dollars is. Yeah. Twenty four billion dollars is a staggering amount of money. New Zealand's entire outstanding debt before the pandemic was fifty seven billion dollars that was everything that was all of our net debt so the the difference in costings the the error in these costings is about half of that twenty four billion dollars so this is a staggering sum of money to be off by. Um, it hasn't really, um, it, ha- it hasn't really created uh, waves yet. Um, I think largely because, really sadly, obviously that the story broke um, the day that Professor Collins passed away, mm. and obviously, you know, Parliament still processing that. But, um, but this is going to really uh, bubble to the surface in the next few weeks and months when the National Park, well, when the government, is is forced to release these costings publicly and officially, and grapple with how on earth they plan to deliver on these promised roads. Um, without you know uh, bankrupting NZta
0: Thomas, you know these are absolutely humongous disparities that we 're talking about here, and the obvious question seems to be how, how do they how do these come about
1: well i think um I think the issue of transport transports really that 's really at the coal face of cost blowouts. Um, I think transport is very vulnerable in terms of supply chains. Mm. You're dealing with um, materials like uh, oil, um, other things that go into creating bitumen and concrete. Um, These are materials that the whole world is trying to build, uh, manufacture, Um, and so they're very, very vulnerable to to cost fluctuations. You've also got labour cost changes. Um, which, which have ex- escalated recently. Um, and then you've got consenting issues as well. Uh, and National sort of, Simeon Brown said that he's going to look at the consenting as an area of bringing the cost down for these. So that tends to be why transport is the worst. I mean, there are cost blowouts everywhere, but what we see in transport is, is particularly bad.
0: Uh, the National Party has promised a lot of movement in terms of uh, transport developments and in, in roads in particular. What will this mean in terms of those projects i'm I'm guessing some will have to simply fall by the wayside they'll have to prioritize
1: well i I think that's really interesting because um they haven't actually said that they're they're going to prioritize a few years ago i actually did a very similar story to this um where i was writing about the former government's transport projects um it was called the nz upgrade Program. And they had a cost blowout of um, $6 billion, which again, you know, $6 billion is an enormous amount of money. um, And it seems dwarfed by comparison. uh, It seems dwarfed by this sum of money, but $6 billion was a lot then. Uh, And back then, when when that entered the public domain, um, the government used it as an opportunity to say, well, look, we are going to have to cut our cloth here. Uh, And it axed a handful of roads. Uh, It just said, look, we're not going to do them uh, interestingly simeon brown uh, has c- continued to commit to these roads he's not dropping any the government's not dropping any um so we might see some of the time frames push back um he's also said that there, that there could be an increased use of public public private partnerships so that would be i mean that would be quite difficult to see how you could do all of these as public private partnerships um but but that's sort of what he's um, he suggested. So anyway, we'll get a we'll, we'll get a clearer idea in the next sort of month or so when he releases his transport budget, the GPS on land transport, as to give it its technical name. Um, but but uh, yeah, it's it's one of the most interesting things actually uh, in the political scene at the moment. That despite this, you know, this is this is an historic cost blowout. It's really quite massive, and despite that. The government is um, is remaining wedded to these roads.
0: And speaking of rising costs, you had a piece yesterday, I think, about uh, the health sector and rising costs in, in that part of um well part of the country's public services I suppose as well.
1: Yeah, this is, um, I mean, this is really grim. Uh, This is a Treasury uh, reiterating a warning that New Zealand's public finances are on a long-term negative trajectory. Uh, So we spend about $27 billion every year on health at the moment, uh, and it's rising rapidly. Uh, in In the next three years, we'll go from $27 billion a year to $3 billion a year. Uh, That's roughly 7% of GDP at the moment. And Treasury is saying that by 2061, we're going to spend 10% of GDP on health, um, which would be about one in every $3 of public spending would be on health. Um, And then uh, a significant amount of that would be, uh, sorry, a significant amount more than, uh, in addition to that, pardon me, would be on superannuation. Treasury is basically sounding the alarm saying that we can't afford that as a country. Um, and basically said that New Zealand is going to, the government's going to have to have a conversation with New Zealanders about whether we want to start cutting services that people are entitled to from the health system, which is a pretty uncomfortable conversation to have, or whether we need to put up taxes to, to pay for it. And the likely outcome, which is, and you can see why politicians don't want to have this conversation, the likely outcome is that there would be a bit of both um, because the deficit is so big that it's probably going to require more taxes and less, fewer services. Mm. Um, Ultimately, the Treasury's long range forecasts think that the revenue that we get um, from taxation will stay around its long term average of about 30% of GDP. But the the expenditure will be about 36% of GDP. Mm. So 6% of GDP deficit every year is more than in, in today's terms would be more than twenty billion dollars deficit a year. It's it's like a you, it'd be like having a COVID level deficit every year. <sighs> so it's it's really quite bad in the long term, um, and it's something Treasury is sounding alarm about. But politicians aren't really listening to because why would you want to be the party that has a conversation with voters about? Asking them for more money and giving them less in return, um, but it's certainly one of those long-term trends that over the next sort of few years and decades of our of our lives in this country, we're probably going to have to start reckoning with, which is um, really quite grim.
0: Finally, Thomas, there's been a bit of hand wringing over the past few days about the amount of legislation that's uh, either been passed or dismantled in the House under urgency. Um, I mean, first off, can you just explain, how is this, how is what's happening, how is it different from the normal legislative process? Why are the public law nerds up in arms? Uh, Well,
1: normally it takes a long time in Parliament to do... um to do anything. Um, and I, actually, the public law nerds would, would uh, get angry about me saying that because, as Geoffrey Palmer famously said, the New Zealand Parliament is the fastest lawmaker in the West <laughs> and it is very fast. If you want something done fast, you can put it through under urgency. But actually, even comparatively, uh, if you're just putting a normal bill through, it just takes about six months. <laughs> First reading, few mu- a, a little time, a bit of time in select committee, second reading, amendments, and then third reading. You know, it's pretty. It, it doesn't take too long to do anything. Um, so the new government has a rule that it's given itself, um, which is that it's allowed. It's allowing itself. <laughs> um, it's uh, well. Yeah, I'll, I'll use that term and phrase. Yeah. It, it, it's allowing itself to repeal stuff under urgency. So if you're just reverting to the to the status quo ante, um, it thinks that it should be allowed to do it under urgency. So the the classic example is the. Uh, abolition of the Māori Health Authority, smoke-free, 90-day trials, fair pay agreements, gone, gone, gone. And that is because they don't think that they campaigned on these things, which by and large they did. They're also reverting to a status quo which wasn't that far in the past. So they're sort of saying, well, look, you can basically take as read all the stuff that was said in the select committee about these things under the previous government, play it backwards, and that's what the select committee would be for repealing them. Um and that's not really how it works <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um I think part of the legislative process why the public nerds law nerds are, are up in arms about this is that you know part of the process is that um you have every right as a citizen to to make it difficult for the government to repeal stuff by going to a select committee and telling them why they're wrong now obviously, you know in a in a unicameral legislature like New Zealand, the government can do basically whatever it likes and there's there's almost zero chance that if these bills went through um, under a normal legislative pace that anything would be different. Mm-hmm. They would still get repealed there there is there is zero chance that they would be different, but the important thing is that you sort of have the right to to tell them that they're wrong and, and to try and convince them and and in, in doing that, I think you 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 have the right to convince the public that they made the wrong call about voting the government and in the first place. Um, So I I think the government is quite cynically but quite cleverly with stuff like fair pay agreements and and 90-day trials and the Māori Health Authority robbed people of the chance to have a select committee because in in many of those cases, you're going to be having Māori health professionals up in front of the select committee saying, this is why the Māori Health Authority is needed because the health disparities are that bad. With, with fair pay agreements, you're going to be having nurses and bus drivers and and all sorts of people who are you know have faced decades of, of fair, fairly exploitative conditions, telling the government but also the public why they need these fair pay agreements. Mm. Um, and and obviously, if you're the government, you're thinking I, I don't think we want that. So um so that's why people are up in arms about it. It's, it is an important thing. Use of urgency is criticised for good reason.
0: Thomas Coughlin. Thanks very much for chatting to us this evening. It's been really nice uh, and interesting hearing about those stories. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. That is Thomas Coghlan, the New Zealand Herald's deputy political editor. And Thomas will be back in about a month's time. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.